0: man's appointed mortal sorrow but the blessed god shall come down teaching that his death shall bring whose death god's death wow every time i do this i get goosebumps
1: that is a non-sequitur the reason is that both the approach and the data are problematic the goal of using this analysis as some sort of proof for a cosmic code is also untenable Hey everyone, this is What Your Pastor Didn't Tell You. Today, I'm going to do something very particular today. We're going to be talking about basically the idea that there's a hidden message in the Bible and popularized by Chuck, the late Chuck Messler. And Dr. Michael Heiser did a review on it on his blog, and it's not really available on YouTube, so I thought I'd post a video on it. So let's dig into it. Okay, <laughs> One of the reasons I wanted to do it was because it's personal, not really. But I have I have heard of this view outside of the whole YouTube uh, internet world. I've had people come up to me and ask me about it and mention it. So that's pretty crazy, considering I don't ever talk to people, but without the hidden codes and all that. So uh, it is a somewhat popular view, so I thought I'd mention it. Now, first of all, let's talk about Chuck Misler's background. All right, so this is important because a person's background can determine um, how close we need to look at a particular view to essentially analyze it to see if it's trustworthy. So if we're talking about a scholar, if we're talking about a layman, a scholar, is typically going to be trained to vet the more difficult things and you can you can most of the time trust them they they've been around the field they've they know the people they know uh, other people that have also that you know you can you can trust better not to say that a scholar you have to be a scholar to have good thoughts but at the same time it helps vet out that those poor poor views. Now, on the this is a little different though, because this is just a question of language. The Hebrew language, you can learn it from simply reading a a self a self book at home. I mean, this is actually this specific topic isn't actually that difficult. Most people in this video probably can understand it. So, in that case, you know, we don't have to be, we don't have to look at Chuck Messler that closely. Now, in regards to me, I mean, yeah, sure, I do not have a Bible background. all right I did take core classes at Liberty in which I didn't pay attention, still got good grades, but I didn't really pay attention. On the other hand, I mostly interview scholars. I rarely ever do videos like this. I never promote work that isn't backed by a scholarship and that's why we're reading Michael Heiser's video today or Michael Heiser's blog today. As I said, you know you don't need to have good th- you don't need to be a scholar to have good thoughts at the same time. It is helpful and it means we don't have to pay as close attention. And of course, my goal is not to deceive. So that's why I typically don't promote my own views. All right, let's actually look at it here.
0: We have a genealogy here then of 10 people. That's let's not transliterate it. Let's translate it. What do those names mean? Man's appointed mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring. Whose death? God's death. Wow! every time I do this, I get goosebumps.
1: That seems eerily like the gospel. As he notes right here, here is a summary of God's plan of redemption hidden here within a genealogy in Genesis. Now that's very cool, if true. We're gonna look at it today. All right. So, an important thing to note is that all you need is one of these to be wrong and it can greatly screw up the, the list it will not sound as good. It will not make any sense. If it is, if you take out Adam, if you take out man, it is appointed mortal sorrow, of the blessed God shall come down teaching his death, the death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. That doesn't really make as much sense or take out mortal, so on. Anyways, his, his ministry background. All right. So why is this important? As I mentioned before, this will help us understand what we're going to how close we need to look at his views. Um, so you can read through this entire list right here on his website the, in his ministry background and all throughout this you can tell that he doesn't actually have any formal background in Bible, no colleges, nothing like that. So that might be a bit awkward. So we have Dr. Michael S. Heiser, everyone's familiar with him of course, you, if you aren't you should be it, uh, he you know this is his review of allegorical interpretation of the names in genesis 5 so he takes he takes the thing and then here's his thoughts he says to be direct this conclusion doesn't follow he's referring to that this will make a code if you do it like this that is a non-sequitur the reason is that both the approach and the data are problematic the goal of using this analysis as some sort of proof for a cosmic code is also untenable I'll briefly explain why, as we progress, limiting myself to the problems that are best translatable to this environment and audience. So I'm actually a little upset about this because it means we don't get to have all this nice little Hebrew, the the nice little characters, and we, it, because I guess he couldn't, uh, as he describes that he couldn't get it to show up on the screen or whatever, sad, but that's okay. So yeah,
0: he begins... The problem with Genesis 5 is that it's not translated for. We, most of us are operating from an English translation. In this case, those names are transliterated. The meaning isn't there, it's an approximation of how they pronounced it.
1: The meaning of proper names can be a difficult pursuit since direct translations are not readily available. Many study aids, such as conventional lexicons, can prove superficial when dealing with proper names. This all seems very iffy because, you know, use lexicons you use translations you know study aids whatever those are typically the the go-to resources if you want to understand the bible better Uh, and then he says even a conventional hebrew lexicon can prove disappointing okay well i guess it depends what you mean um yeah make sure a study of the original roots however can yield some fascinating insights now this will be fun The flaw here is a failure to to honor the writer's context and intent. If it is true that the names in this genealogy are proper names, then that is how the writer wanted them understood. As we have seen with our discussions of Adam, a writer can do things like add the direct article when he wanted readers to discern that the term wasn't a proper name. Conversely, when a proper name was the intent, one would remove the definite article to telegraph that meaning was intended. Misler's take suggests the writer wanted to hide information and encrypt the code. Why the New Testament writers couldn't figure this code out and then use it as proof for the messianic nature of Jesus isn't explained by Misler. Just to note, we have no early church fathers or writers of the Bible, any extra biblical account, except for very, in a very recent time in the last 50 years, um, where this idea is put forward. A critic could read him as saying he figured out something in the text that Paul or Jesus couldn't since they never bring it up, which is, I hope, something Misler wouldn't want to say as that would amount to a claim of new inspiration. But that's a problem for all this code thinking. Further, that a root might mean something is itself problematic. Many words share common consonants, the root or base. So yeah, that's what he refers to when he means root. He's referring to the base. So for example, What's well, an easy one? All right, here. So you have the root, adam, adam. You see the, oh, shoot. At the top here, you have the transliteration, how to pronounce it. You have the English, I guess, translation. And then you have other information that's not as helpful. So the the consonants, the, the look, X looking thing, the little seven looking thing, the little D looking thing you have Aleph, Dalet, Bet. No, that's not. Aleph, Dalet, Mem. Yep, sorry. Anyways, um, so you have Aleph, Dalet, Mem, and there's the the three consonants, and then underneath you have the the vowels. So what Missler is is trying to do is he's trying to say that we should look at oops, all right, he's saying that we should look at the three consonants, the the core word, the, the core consonants And that will give us our little code. And as you said, that's problematic because that doesn't mean that all the words that share those consonants have a shared basic meaning. In other words, you can have multiple words that have these consonants. And it it works the same thing in English. We'll look at this in a second. This thinking is known by scholars and those engaged in serious exegesis as the root fallacy. Like this is an actual fallacy is isn't hard to show that it's a bogus approach to understanding words. For example, suppose I try this in English. Do the following words, all of which share common consonants, really have all the same meaning that unites them. You have built, the three consonants, BLT. Belt, bolt, blot. Those are completely different words, completely different meaning, same consonants, different vowels. Uh, Seems like Michael Heiser doesn't like this approach very much. Not only is this approach fallacious, but I hope it serves to make the point that words only have meaning in context. That is, although you can have three or four words that share a root, they actually don't mean anything, much less they share a common meaning, until they are put into a clause or a sentence by a writer, a placement that gives the words a grammatical and literary context when the sentence is considered in light of surrounding sentences, paragraphs, etc., Words by themselves mean nothing, and so roots of words by themselves mean nothing. And in our case, a writer chose to create a genealogy. That's the genre, the literary context, and so he chose proper names. That's what goes into a genealogy, and so we can be sure that the writer meant these names to be understood as well. Names. But, Mike, you might object. What about the divine author? He might have meant more. Sure, and if he did, he would have told Paul or some other New Testament writer under inspiration, so they could have revealed the encrypted prophecy. That's fair enough. That doesn't mean it absolutely has to. Fair enough. Maybe we could. Maybe we see it the early church fathers. We don't see that, but that would add. That would add to the view. Do we really want to think God saved that for Chuck Misler? This is what I mean about these codes can really get into the theological trouble. Now, I don't think for a minute Chuck, Chuck Missler wants to go there, but that's the logic chain. And it's easy to follow. And just why would God want a prophecy encrypted anyways? Why, When so many other prophecies are fairly transparent, including prophecies about a Messiah. Yeah, I mean, the question is, what does this add to the, the overall message? So, yeah, he gives some links that uh, give you some good information. Feel free to check them out. The etymological, philological problems. Now for the specifics. Let's take the names one by one.
0: In Genesis 5, the first one is Adam, and that's pretty straightforward. Adama means man. No problem there. I guess. All
1: right. Well, it actually is, as naked Bible readers know, know by now. First, the name Adam does not come from the word Adam. Mizzler misspells it as Adama with an O vowel or his did. So this is an interesting thought. It seems like we go here to the original. So this is a website article. It's not something like a journal article, okay? Um, who knows if somebody's proofreading it. Maybe he mistyped it. Maybe he read it from a source that was wrong, which that would be a little awkward because anyone that, I guess if I guess if it's just a, you know, if he doesn't know very Hebrew very well, like he, he's going to just miss this. I, mean, I guess that's all right. I'm not yeah, so yeah, first, the name Adam does not come from the word Adama. The word Adama means ground or land. So yeah, it is a completely different word. And he's got his nice little definition and all the different meanings in here. Adam, as a proper name, comes from Adam, which, as we have seen in earlier posts, can mean human, humanity, man, or the proper name. Adam, and we see this all throughout Genesis.
0: Seth, so that's the next one. His son, Seth, means appointed. In this case, chapter four, the earlier chapter in Genesis, Eve explains it. Eve Eve said, for God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom came came slew. List.
1: Missler says that Seth's name means appointed. This is a possibility, though Hebrew and Semitic scholars disagree. Wham's comment is representative. Though Eve's explanation of Seth's name suggests it is derived from the, the verb sheet, seat to place, but there may be no etymological connection, simply paranomasia. And that is, paranomasia is a literary term for wordplay. Wikipedia says, is a form of wordplay which suggests two or more meanings by exploiting multiple meanings of a word or of similar sounding for an intended humorous or rhetorical effect. If Seth does not derive from this Hebrew word, since the term refers to an object, a person, it would actually be better translated substitute, not appointed, as Misner suggests.
0: Enosh, and that is a verb which means mortal, frail, or miserable, from the root anosh which is uh, usually used of a wound or grief or something like that.
1: This statement is odd. There is no scripture citation that in the days of Enosh, people began defiling God's name. I'm guessing that he means Genesis four twenty six, 26, which most Bibles have as, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Misler thinks that's a mistranslation, but it isn't. The difference between that translation and having the verse say that people began to defile the name of the Lord is due to the first of two verbs in a sequence being a Hebrew homonym. Like English, Hebrew has distinct words that are spelled exactly the same but are divergent in meaning. Lead or or lead and lead metal. And think of how that also muddies the root idea discussed above. Very true. All right, so he's got you know he's got the Hebrew, he's got the meaning behind it. You uh, see, so you have two options read right to left. Began to call or defiled to call. Since Hebrew moves from right to left, one cannot cheat and translate the two as began to defile. Not only is defile the potential first word, but the second one, to call, is quite clear and has the infinitival lamid prefix. And so you either go with began to call or defiled to call. I think the first option makes better sense. The latter really makes no sense at all. But all that is actually beside the point. Does Enosh mean mortal, frail, miserable? The word Enosh means man or human. This is clear from its scriptural use, where it is commonly occurs in poetic parallelism with Adam. A meaning of mortal can work here, so I don't have a problem with that. But the idea that Enosh comes from a root that means mortal, frail, miserable is not correct. That idea comes from a different word, enush. Transferring meaning from one to another is to commit the root phallus,
0: Kenan. He has a son by the name of Kenan. Not Canaan, as some of your Bibles says Kenan, because uh, Balaam, he, in fact, does a pun on those names in numbers. But the point is, that word can mean sorrow, dirge, or elish. This is
1: another odd description. First, Aramaic. Aramaic has little to do with seeing this name as Canaan. The fact that is that this name is spelled Kenan. K-Q-Y-N-N. The first three consonants, of which are identical to Q, Y, N, King. the Septuagint translated the name as Cainin, the only difference in the consonants. Hebrew originally had no vowels. Is the final N. Scholars disagree on its role in the name. Some take it as a diminutive, which in case it would be independent, that means little, and so little Cain would be the meaning. There's precedent for an N diminutive in Biblical Hebrew, but scholars have not found the argument compelling enough for consensus, and the option invariably takes us into the issue of whether the genealogies of four or five came from a single source or not, yada, yada, yada. Here, another option is that the final N is academies, or hippochoristic, a term that in effect means it's a nickname for Cain. I have no idea what Messler is angling for in the reference, reference to Balaam. I suppose that he wants to connect the spelling of kin with kinni or Kenny I don't know what I'm just trying to say here. Kenites. But that wouldn't explain the final line anyway. And what Balaam was doing isn't a value for what the writer of Genesis 5 was doing when writing a genealogy. The contexts are completely different. The fact that no one is really sure how to take the final line also points to the fact that no one really knows what the term would mean if it were not a proper name. Mesler's suggestion. He gives no source, apparently comes from taking the meaning of a noun, kinna, kin, 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 uh, an altogether different word, and transferring that meaning to this name. Again, the r- fallacy raises its head. Of course, this is another issue here where, you know, he doesn't give a source, and that's a really big deal, because if you don't give a source then there's no way to check what you're trying to say. And of course, I guess he's just expecting people to say, hey, I'm Chuck Misler, trust me. But coming from someone with no Bible education, trying to teach Hebrew on languages or definitions that no one's ever heard
0: of, makes it a bit awkward. All right, next, Mahalahel. He called his son Mahalalel. Mahal, which means the blessed or, or, or praised one, and uh, L, of course the name for God. So Mahalalel, it's a mouthful, but what it means is the blessed God or the praised God.
1: This rendering is scarcely possible in light of Hebrew morphology. The verbal root is HLL and does not mean and does mean to praise. Yep, so let's go to right here in the actual Hebrew, you have HLL. Hey Lavid La. And does mean to praise the prefixed M indicates that this form is a particle, sorry, participle, unlike the other examples he gives. So let's look at it here. You have the M at the front, the mim. It's participle. That means L got is this object. So we're gonna look for L. Yep, right there, Aleph Lamin. The name means praising God, which does not fit at all with Misler's allegorical interpretation of the sequence. Yarad.
0: Now his son is named Yared, which is a verb uh, meaning uh, to to come down.
1: So scholars would agree with Misler's notes that this name has the same consonants Y-R-D as the Hebrew verb yarad to go, come down. Problem here is that this is a proper name. That the consonants are the same does not prove that the meaning of the verb with the same consonants is to be transferred to the name. A convenient minor parallel is illustrative. As we are we to assume that Rush Limbaugh's name means to hurry, or should Rush be understood as a tufted, tufted marsh plant, or perhaps a fraternity's recruitment tradition? I hope you get the point. The meaning is therefore uncertain. Other, and other issues can pre- contribute to this uncertainty. First, the same consonants occur in First Chronicles 4.18, also a genealogy, vocalized as yirid. Second, the consonants, if understood verbally, could also be translated as a command, go down. Third, Akkadian parallels to the term suggest a meaning of slave or servant. Though not all scholars accept the parallels as decisive as here.
0: Enoch. And he has a son by the name of Enoch, which we've mentioned already, but what does the name Enoch mean? It turns out it's an academic term. It, it 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 means commencements or or teaching, if you will.
1: Misler notes that Enoch spelled with consonants. Let's go to the consonants here. So we're gonna do ket. That's noon, that is vav, and that is final noon. Means teaching or commencement. This is a bit misleading in that he gets each meaning from a different word, or at least that is the case with respect to the Semitic data. The two possible roots are also technically not in the same language, though they are both Semitic. There is a Hebrew verb, k, that means to train, uh, dedicate, and a West Semitic verb of the same meaning, spelling that means to introduce, initiate. That the latter, and not the former, the choice of Misler's allegorical string may be the best option here, suggested by the context of the same name in Genesis 4:17. For Enoch was the first offspring of Cain and the namesake of the city built by Cain. Now, if it is to be presumed that this was the first city, then the initiate meaning would go much better as a meaning. Since no other cities are mentioned in Genesis prior to this one, it appears that the writer is catching this city as the first one built. There is no rationale, I can see, other than to make the allegory work for Misler to choose teaching over the other. At any rate, it's far from secure. Methuselah.
0: Had a son by the name of Methuselah, and of course that was the, his death shall bring, and that was the year when he dies is the year the flood came. We went through that. This is
1: incorrect, although M- Misler has a footnote for this claim. The sources are not Hebrew scholars, hence the error. The first part of the name is the problem. Hebrew scholars know that the first part of the name is not mult. more properly, mot, if, if the meaning would be he death, of course. I messed it up, but whatever. But rather, Hebrew MT man, this lima occurs just over 20 times. That and not an original mut or mut or mot is the first part is unknown because the rules of Hebrew orthography spelling and the vowel reduction and original historically long vowel, such as required for mut or mot, will not reduce to schwa as is in the Hebrew text of Methuselah's name. The meaning of Methuselah's name is therefore man of Shalak. Mizzler assumes the second element is a verb, but there are actually a number of translation options since there's more than one shellac in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew and wider Semitic. The most possible is a weapon, spear. See this, Shalak. The name Methuselah would then mean man of the spear. Other scholars see a reference to the river of shock, or Didi by that name. The one thing that it cannot mean is what Misler suggests. As we are reading constantly, it seems like there are many different options. So the question is, why would we choose one specific one? And most of these times, all the options aren't what Misler chooses. He chooses one that isn't an option. This is troubling for me personally, because I ask myself, okay, well, how did he get these findings. From my standpoint, I have access to a lot of biblical scholars. I have a lot of pe- access to a lot of people that know Hebrew that are not biblical scholars. All of this right here is something that I you, you'd you probably learn not to do on the first day of class in Hebrew, which makes this very awkward, um, to say the least. It makes me very perplexed. Was that the word? Perplexed. Like, I don't really even know how this happens, to be honest. Anyways, to continue, Lamech, I have to be honest, the treatment of this name is egregious. Though I appreciate Misler's wide influence as a catalyst for people to get into the Bible, what he does here will give him serious trouble in a hermeneutics class or exegesis class, much less a Hebrew class. Vizsler elicits a meaning for this name on the basis that it sounds like an English word,
0: lament. He has a son by the name of Lamech, and this is a case where the root is still available to us in our English. The, the, the root there, uh, we see it in lament or lamentation, and Lamech is, means despairing. It's a root that implies despairing
1: okay so this is what heiser says no language in human history can be interpreted this way just because a chinese word might orally sound like a word my language or any other language doesn't mean it shares the same meaning as the word from the other language it isn't hard to show how deeply followed this idea is anyone who have studied any other language he didn't say any actually Anyone who has studied another language besides their own knows that the new language has similar sounding words or vowel cons- consonant combinations to words in their native language. And yet there is absolutely no relation in meaning. Put bluntly, Hebrew and English are not the same language. But for those to whom that isn't obvious, let me illustrate. Consider these Hebrew words, yam, sod, rego. The, do they really correspond to English words for sweet potato, dirt, or to squirm? Partly, they mean in order C, cancel, Footleg. I could provide hundreds of examples from a range of languages to demonstrate the absurdity of this approach. Anyone who has studied a language other than English could also contribute to their own list. Uh, and just if it wasn't clear, uh, like, why, does, why is he doing this here? Uh, so he, he's making the reference Yom and Hebrew. Can be seen as yam, it's using the same words in English, so he uses sweet potato. Sod is dirt, regal. I'm not even quite sure what he's going for there. Honestly. Anyone who has studied a language other than English could also tr- contribute their own list. I should add that the Hebrew word translated lament is kidna. I'm not pronouncing that right. No aural, rebe- no oral, aural. Re- 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 no oral resemblance to LIMIC. The reality is that Lamech has no known certain meaning so far as scholars can determine. Here is a sampling of the speculation. Like ABEL for HEBEL, LIMIC is the possible form of LIMIC, but unlike ABEL, not certainly of Hebrew derivation. It may be connected with the Sumerian LAMGA, a title via a patron deity of song and music, but this is very doubtful. Other suggestions based on Arabic include strong youth
0: or oppressor. Noah. So it's a uh, it's derived from the Hebrew word nacham, which means to bring relief or comfort.
1: This name is well understood. It means rest as Misler notes. So we definitely got this one right. So that's exciting. So where does this leave us? It quite clearly means that Misler's allegorical sentence or prophecy or code in Genesis 5 is bogus. I hope readers see the larger point here. However, why would God want to encrypt a message that is found elsewhere plainly in sight? The whole idea makes no sense. So basically, you can use this reasoning with anything in the Bible. If there's any code, any hidden idea that the original writer wouldn't have understood, it's, it's just weird. Like, why would, it, why would it be hidden for everyone except for us in our modern age? Frankly, if we need these sorts of codes to stimulate us to believe that God was capable of prompting men to write down revelation for human posterity, that's a serious problem with our faith and theological thinking. If one believes in God and that such a God can do something as simple as prompt humans to write something down and then further prompt them to preserve it, inspiration doesn't need some magical justification. It's a simple, reasonable idea. Then he's got his footnotes here. That is it. I hope this was very helpful for you guys. Maybe learn something about Hebrew. Uh, Now, I just want to make these things clear. This is not to bash. This is to help learn something. I don't really care whether you think Chuck Misler is a good Bible scholar or not. The late Chuck Misler has actually produced some good things that I know from experience. He has interesting ideas, and that's awesome, and that he's encouraged a lot of people to understand the Bible better. At the same time, does not mean that we cannot learn from misunderstandings, and uh, I'm sure he would appreciate the idea of learning even if it was him that was making the mistake. So I would love to for you if you showed your thoughts in the comments. Let me know if you want me to do other videos like this again. Anyways, I really appreciate you guys watching this. Uh, Make sure to like and subscribe share this if you found this very interesting if you think this can help other people that would be great share my channel I'm trying to get trying to reach as many people as i can for god's glory Thanks again guys it's been fun and i hope you guys have a great rest of your day keep digging into what god has given you